Get ready for a week-long celebration of music, community and fabulous fun with Joy Radiothon 2024. Joy has the largest collection of rainbow podcast content in the world and you can help keep us out loud and proud by donating during Joy Radiothon 2024. Just go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. Mark it in your calendars because Joy Radiothon returns June 1st to 7th and remember, we all flourish with joy. You can hear us live on Joy 94.9 Saturday afternoon via the live stream at joy.org.au forward slash listen live or tune your wireless in Melbourne to 94.9 FM. Good evening, good evening, good evening, good evening, good evening. This is Techno Gaze here on Joy 94.9, the show where we gaze into the world of consumer electronics, gadgets and technology. Ma- Michael, you're about to say something, Anne. I don't know whether five o'clock is really evening. I know it's getting darkish, but you know, it's not evening. What time zone are you in, Mark? Um, I, I'm pretty sure I'm in Australian Eastern time zone. Is that what it's called? No, uh, we're not in Australia. What? We're what? not in <laughs> wrong place. Go away. Go back. Gosh. <laughs> no, I, actually, the uh, reference is, of course, Stephen Fry. I've always wanted to say that. And it's, at least it's more appropriate to, to, to go with uh, Good Evening Now than what it is previously when we're on at uh, midday. Mm. Mm-hmm. Now, um, Technogaze. We talk about tech, we uh, consume electronics, gadgets, that sort of thing. And anything that plugs into uh, power. That voice is Michael. Hello, Michael. Hello, Mark. <laughs> Hello, stranger. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's good to be back. Um, and we've also got in the studio with us Craig. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. What? <laughs> what time zone are you in? Well, I always, I always say good morning because I never can be bothered trying to work it out. And, you know, <laughs> my response is always it's morning somewhere in the world. So, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it was morning, well, yeah, it is morning now in, I guess, the UK, which I, I was in just <laughs> recently, just dropping it in there. Apart from other places around the world, we, we all know about your Hungarian sausage. <laughs> <laughs> what Hungarian sausage? I, I did post a Facebook picture. Exactly. Indeed. Now, on today's show... Oh, there's a show, is there? Yeah, we've got a whole bunch of things going on. Um... Uh, what are we talking about? We've got uh, Raspberry Pis. There's some interesting developments there. Some products being made available to make very cheap desktop or thin clients through Raspberry Pis. Elon Musk of Tesla fame has uh, introduced his version of a battery, uh, a wall-mounted battery, which hopefully will solve, will start to solve the problem of renewable energy and uh, baseload power. And uh, I think it shows what a good uh, sell job he does. A what job? A sell job. Oh, right. Okay. Um, yeah, we've got a few other little, little battery sort of items to talk through as well, because there's some very interesting uh, new developments in the battery world. Uh, there's some concern in privacy over the other side of the ditch. Uh, the Kiwis have, uh, have not been able to opt out of uh, their phone data being used in uh, in information being collected. So It's amazing, actually, this story, the, the sheer audacity of it, really. Mm, well, yeah, it's, it's kind of, yeah, sound the alarms, people. 
and of course, uh, over this side of the ditch, uh, Telstra must now hand over some personal information for the journalist Ben Grubb of uh, the Fairfax stable. He has been going, to, well, he's, he's, yeah, he's taken Telstra to court for quite some time and uh, trying to get his access to his own personal data and uh, has finally won that, although apparently Telstra will, will appeal. appeal because they're a big corporation and that's what they do. Um, what else we got? I don't know. I shouldn't uh, give the game away too early, should I? No, you should not. <coughs> uh, oh, and what? Uh, now that I'm back, we have you have neglected Apple, haven't you? We have had no stories about Apple in the last four weeks. Not. Gasp. No, that has not been the case. We just haven't been necessarily as biased towards Apple as... Oh, I'm not biased. I'm just... I appreciate good quality. Anyway, um, <laughs> I did manage to get my... Uh, get a watch on my wrist while overseas. Not that you can't do that here as well. You can always book an appointment. And uh, I have a bit of a, a thing to say about that. We've also got a few uh, news items to talk about. Hopefully we get time. That is a drumbeat that has just, commi- just finished, actually. So let's... Uh, shall we get on to... The uh, raspberry pie. Raspberry pies? Yeah. Um, with cream, I think, is nice. Because some people <laughs> like with ice cream, but cream goes... <laughs> oh, wrong show. Um, what is the raspberry pie? Raspberry pie. It's a t- tiny little device. It's actually like a circuit board, which is a, a computer in itself. It says nothing much to it. You you can insert a, an SD card into it, and that's your storage. So you might choose to get a 32 gig SD card and just put it in there. Very low power usage as well. So it's actually powered through like a USB port. Um, and it's it's very bare bones. So and it's cheap. It's I think they sell what fifty dollars Australian. Yeah, fifty. Or just um, under 50? It varies. Yeah, about fifty is 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 how much you buy one for. But that's just for the the actual circuit board. Yeah. All the extra bits you then need to buy. So it's it's a great way to you know if you want to configure it to your own specs, you you can do that. Um, and the other thing about it is like actually one of the pitfalls as well is is the cases. So you you actually need to buy your own case for it to be enclosed in something. Otherwise, it's just sitting on your desk yep. as a as a circuit board with pretty lights on it. Uh, anyway, so this is uh, it's been around for quite some time. There's been multiple iterations of it, but uh, just recently, um, a, the company Parallels, which uh, you may be familiar with because they do um, virtualization software for Macs. They have done for quite some time now. In fact, they were big before even uh, VMware got into the game with uh, on VMware the, On the Mac side? Yeah. yeah. Um, in fact, they were the go-to virtualization software package for for, um, for Mac uh, long ago. Anyway, they, uh, they've made uh, a new product available which can be installed on a Raspberry Pi and it enables Windows connectivity. So what this will do for the very small price of... What fifteen user license, fourteen hundred dollars? It'll uh, give you a. Uh, it'll allow you to use that Raspberry Pi to connect to your Windows servers. Yeah, so it's essentially a uh, remote. It runs the RDP remote desktop protocol. Mm. So it's a client that acts as a, a thin client to allow you to connect to a yeah a remote computer. And often the case is like uh, IT shops around the place will will have these Windows services available, but they're um, not widely used because the actual cost of getting um, devices out in uh, you know to to run these things like the Raspberry Pi might be used for to actually for people to be sitting in the hardware device the keyboard the screen yep it um, it uh, that 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 cost is still quite high compared to just having a very cheap uh, desktop 
Shame. Especially when the um, the cost of PCs these days, desktops, is really low. Yeah, like, what, 300 200 bucks yeah. these days? So, you know, $50 for one of those is actually um, pr- quite a reasonable price. And if you could b- build it into the desk, for example, suddenly you've got a very nifty solution to uh, to your uh, to your enterprise needs. Hmm. Huh. So that's so high. Yes, yeah, so that's a high. Um, also on the on the sort of the enterprise front, uh, Microsoft have been doing their well. They've got their build conference, which is a big conference. It's actually a showcase for Microsoft to. That's their annual developer conference, is it? Yeah, it, it enables them to show off what all the new wares that they've got, anything that's coming up in the future that um, developers in particular should be aware about. Uh, and one of the um, new developments is a thing called Nano Server. And along the same lines, it's like the bare bones stuff. So uh, where the Raspberry Pi is like a circuit board, um, the Nano Server for in the Microsoft world is actually just a bare bones operating system. So um, it, uh, it's, it's been touted as... Um, uh, the future of Windows Server, and basically it's a way for um, cloud uh, for us to install these very low-level Windows servers in, for the cloud. And right. one one of the issues with Windows Server is that when you install it, the footprint, certainly in terms of disk space, is something like over six gig because everything gets copied down when you install it, even the stuff that you don't need. Yep. And when you do go to the cloud and you want to replicate farms off servers, so you have literally hundreds and thousands of them, mm. that you've got all of this additional Extra. requirement that you don't need. And I dare say there's a fair amount of memory bloat as well with it loading lots of stuff that isn't Actually, being used. Isn't it? Yeah. yeah, And I think this is a... a design change or a design philosophy change with the whole Windows Server line mm. because Nano Server is not a separate product. It is going to be part of a future Windows Server. Yep. And I think it's going to be one of the tiers that um, the other versions of Windows Server, the normal versions, with the f- uh, will build upon and mm. this is just one tier. Yep. So but it's like the, the, the base level is, is Nano. Yep. And then you say, oh, I want a GUI on top of it or I want a, um, a web server on top of it or whatever. And so it's like the starting point. And this, to, to be fair, I mean, this has kind of existed for quite some time in the in the Microsoft world with their server core um, product, product yeah. which, I mean, back in server 2008, they had that uh, sort of capability. But I think they've actually gone to the next level and particularly from a, a you know, from a cloud services point of view, um, where you talk about you know replicating the same things you know literally hundreds of thousands of times in some cases, mm. that can create like that six gig of of memory required or or hard disk required to just keep those superfluous things. Um, there you know that that does mount up when you times it by how many thousands, hundreds. Mm. Indeed, so it's really a way for them to to offer their operating system for the cloud, and not surprising considering. Uh, Microsoft have have moved quite heavily into into cloud services. What with Azure and and the competition. <laughs> yes, indeed. Now uh, we should uh, we should uh, come back in a few moments. We have Tesla on the way back from a quick break, so we'll do that in just a few moments. All day, every day. Joy 94.9, on air and online at joy.org.au. Indeed, joy.org.au is a great way to to listen to us 
as I did when I was over in Europe not that long ago. Oh, were you in Europe? <laughs> I didn't know that. Craig, did you know he was in Europe? No, he's never mentioned it. No, it was a surprise. There was nothing on his Facebook page either. I, he was I, so I, quiet yeah, and shy. Well, was. I mean, I did miss him for a little while. I just thought he'd gone a bit quiet. M- miss who? <laughs> Actually, if I turn off his mic, he won't be here. <laughs> So, my name is Mark, and I'm being abducted. <laughs> Go on, Mark. Mm. Uh, now, shall we get back into tech news, as this show often does? Do it, please. Yes, all right. Okay, Tesla. Elon Musk. I'd yes. actually like to have his babies. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's, he's a lovely gentleman, very forward-thinking. Uh, so, the the big splash this, I think it's this week, wasn't it? Um, it I'm was. I'm pretty sure. I've been a bit dead so, um, you know, I might get my timings wrong. But, yeah, no, this week, battery uh, a whole battery system was announced by Elon Musk of Tesla fame. Of course, Tesla is the car company that has produced a you know, completely battery-powered car, which is actually a sporty, very sporty, quite highly priced car, but comparable in terms of uh, power output and so forth of, of your uh, combusted Combusted? Combustion engine. I don't know if it's comparable. I think it's better than. Better than, well. Certainly it's got better, many more torks than uh, your regular mm. cars. I guess in that, and I was talking to a mutual friend of yours and mine, uh, oh, really? uh, Michael, and uh, the, the benefit of a battery pack is that you get torque right from the beginning. You get 100% torque all the way through. Yes. And so. torque, for those that don't know, is pulling power, for want of a better thing term. When you put your foot down, how, how much it might mm-hmm. take off, basically. Yes. Now, uh, so Tesla have been famous for, for cars for quite some time, but of course, because they've been uh, developing batteries that they can put into these cars, suddenly there's a new market for them to enter, and that market is batteries. Mm. And that's why they're building the Gigafactory. Yes. Yes, I've got this Giga, <laughs> Giga Factory. Well, it's called the Giga Factory. I thought that was its proper name, the Giga Factory. I, I think it is, yeah. But it's it's a factory specifically built to to um, create batteries. And the uh, output of the Giga Factory, in terms of the number of batteries they're going to make a year, is going to be the same as the current global output of batteries is today. So they're essentially going to be doubling the availability of batteries. Wow, kind of mm. feels like it's kind of dangerous. <laughs> what all these batteries <laughs> can ever take us? Well, you know, from like a resource point of view. Look, I guess on one hand it is, and this is one of the things that I, I think is not, not heard enough about, not thought about enough in terms of electric vehicles, mm. is that everyone says, oh, look how efficient it is, this is how much it costs per kilowatt and the equivalent cost. But we need to look at the whole chain from you know birth to the cradle type thing, or cradle to death, of what resources do you need to create the batteries? What rare metals? Are yeah, in particular. And what happens at the end of the life of the battery? What do you do with it? Yeah, does it just get chucked in the in the ground and mm. ooze out? That's God right. Knows. But yeah. unlike um, regular fuel, at least you can make electricity, whether it be from the sun or something else. So it is renewable, which yeah. what could is be renewable. Is, yeah, it depends how you source it. it. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> you burn oil to make uh, power. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's yeah. So. Uh, in effect, batteries though do uh, future-proof us in in that regard. So electricity is is creative, creatable in by many means, not just fossil fuels. And we will talk about in just a few moments um, other battery uh, options that are being developed as well that may solve the um, the precious metal mm. concern. But uh, this going back to the actual story here, Elon Musk has uh, announced the what what's called the Power Wall. And it's um, it's geared for home battery systems. So, 
Um, given at a price at around three and a half thousand US dollars, which when you take into account maybe if you want to get yourself off the grid and you've got solar panels, yep. that's roughly the double the, the price of what you pay for solar panels to, to do a similar thing. I think. I mean, maybe I'm I've got my math wrong, but um the idea is for this this power wall to be installed in homes, maybe in your uh, on the outside of your wall or in your garage or something. And you might have uh, solar panels on the roof and they feed into this battery and therefore the battery could be used for uh, energy use overnight. And that's one of the drawbacks of using current renewable energy like solar or even wind power mm. is that it's very peaky. So what do you do, you know, 12 o'clock during the day is fine. Mm. It, yeah, at night time, what do you do? And yeah. that's where the battery comes in as a solution of storing that energy and you can draw it out. And I think actually that's that's one of the um, uh, problems that I guess all the non-renewable energy people out there sort of point out when it comes to renewable energy is that it is so sporadic. You, you're at the ele- you're at the whim of the elements when it comes to wind or, or solar in particular. Yep. Um, there's no way of really controlling when that power input is going to come. So... Uh, the battery solution is actually the 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 missing link there, and if it is communi- uh, consumerized in the in the way that um, Elon Musk is suggesting it should be, then you know it's suddenly we've got all the issues of, of redundancy and um, you know gold plating our power delivery systems and so forth suddenly go out the window because it's actually a solar panel on your roof driving a battery that's in your home, so you're not. You're not so reliant on this outside grid that uh, may or may not work on any given day. The um, the future of power is that everybody is independent, and you really use the main grid as your backup. Yes. So yeah. if your local supply fails, you get it off the grid. Yeah. Well, it'll be really interesting to see what's going to happen to all of the electricity companies and how they're going to deal with it. That's right. Be- because all of a sudden they're going to be, you know, because they're profit driven, and then mm. all of a sudden they're going to be faced with this. Well. Mm. We're not going to make that much profit anymore. And the hard thing is they have to make huge investments up front, which you know, may last 10, 20, 30 years. Yeah. There's going to come a stage where they say, well, we're not going to do that. And then if they stop investing in, in their infrastructure and you start to have reliability problems, what happens to those people that aren't independent? Yeah. You then have reliability issues when you're getting power off the grid. Could create a, a two-tier sort of system or arrangement, I guess, where the people who have money are able to afford the upfront yeah. cost of a, of a battery system. I mean, you could think about maybe government um, uh, getting involved and, and you know, new, mm. every new house built gets a new battery installed as well. I mean, and what about would, maintenance of that battery? And I also think this would be great if it was coupled with um, geothermal heating and cooling, which is um, you can stick essentially a rod that's about a metre or three metres down into the ground yep. mm. and you have free heating and cooling for the whole wow. um, for the whole year because essentially you use the earth um, to regulate the temperature of your house. Yeah, right. And even though the offset is actually quite high, it's about $30,000 to get mm. one of these things, but um, you, you just have no heating or cooling bills yep. for the rest of yep. the and device. And it suddenly does become a cost-benefit sort of discussion when you really start talking about these all these options like the technology is there now it's actually just working out the price point that yeah. that actually makes it um, worthwhile, you know, worthwhile to do and 
you know, perhaps for existing housing, it's going to be difficult to do, but certainly where you are building brand new, um, you know, developments, why isn't there some sort of infrastructure plan towards that that does actually invest the $30,000? And if you do it on mass, it's going to be a lot less yeah. for whole neighbourhoods. Yeah. So at the get-go, it's in there. And, you know, even if the government has to pay money and, and you charge the residents based on some, you know, on a, a lease basis or something like that to make it more palatable, at least that way in you know, it's going to make life a lot better in the long run. Yeah. Now, Elon Musk, he's one who um, has, has sort of pushed this this battery um, uh, power wall, so to speak, but uh, there's been some criticism already towards it. Um, apparently that $3,500 price tag is, in fact, the wholesale price, not necessarily the retail price. Yes. So perhaps we as home consumers will be uh, paying a fair bit more for it. Um, and also the uh, the output of these battery devices may not be that uh, quite enough to uh, power an entire home. Yeah, I've read that the um, th- that three and a half thousand dollar device, which is one of two different batteries, um, has only got enough energy in terms of output to uh, supply two thousand uh, watts, which is effectively the same as a hairdryer or microwave. Mm. I'd have to say at this point, I don't think I would mind that. I mean. Um, it would be, it would be, it obviously be better if if that was developed Higher, more. Yeah. But um, because at the moment, uh, people who have solar powers can sell the energy to the grid, and then when they need energy, they essentially buy it back. But those prices are, are not matched. They're not matched at all because I think you know you sell it for peanuts and then you buy it back for other monkeys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm always a bit cautious about the whole buying it back thing because energy or electricity in particular is always a real time thing, right? So when you're selling it, it's part of the grid. At that time, it's yep. never you know unless um, power grids suddenly get a whole bunch of storage you know batteries themselves, which there is talk about some countries in particular doing doing that sort of work. I think yeah. Germany may even be doing it. Um, we in Australia, perhaps not, because there's not such. Anyway, let's not get that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, it's you know it's that whole. You, you have to be very sort of careful about sort of saying okay, we sell it back, but actually we're we're. You know, we're not buying it back when we from the same energy that we sold. We're actually buying energy that was produced at that time. Yeah. I mean, like well, I, yeah, I guess so. Um, and the, you know, the one of the issues is with that that um, I've lost my track of thought. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> we saw sirens. We saw lights. Oh, we, saw, no. we saw flashing lights. Um, anyway, shall we move on? Oh, just, just very briefly, I want. <laughs> I do want to point out a very funny Twitter feed, uh, Bored Elon Musk. It's um, uh, a parody uh, uh, Twitter account which um, illustrates the type of things that perhaps Elon Musk would come up with when he's a bit bored. For example, um, chewing gum that is designed to disintegrate roughly when the flavour runs out. Um, a digital counter in conference rooms that displays running some of the time elapsed times the alley rate of all the people involved. <laughs> oh, I like that. <laughs> and I, the, my personal favourite is uh, self-driving horses. <laughs> we all need self-driving horses, right? Anyway. We do indeed. <laughs> You're listening to Techno Gaze. We'll be back with more in a few moments. Techno Gaze here. Mark, Michael and Craig in the studio. You forgot who I was, didn't you? <laughs> no, I'm, <laughs> look, I'm, I'm getting there. I am a bit tired still. He, ju- he just hesitated momentarily because uh, of your immense beauty. It just <laughs> it shocked him. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to fall off my chair again, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> Careful now. 
The show might go to pot if that happens. Now, uh, we're talking about batteries because, uh, you know, they're kind of techy and that's what we do here on Techno Gaze. We talk about tech stuff. Uh, and there's a new aluminium battery uh, um, made available just recently. Yeah, so um, there was a university in America mm. who I have... So they're not aluminium, they're aluminium. Aluminium, <laughs> correct. <laughs> yes, anyway, um, sorry. They're aluminium and graphite. Uh, which is, you know, kind of really, really interesting. So, you know, one of the most widely used batteries that we have at the moment are the, are the lithium batteries, which are in the iPhones. and They're you know, everywhere, lithium they batteries. They are Because they've got really good performance characteristics. They do, except sometimes they explode. Th- oh, what's wrong with a little fire every now and then? Isn't this... A, they're the same batteries that uh, were put into the Dreamliner, the, the Boeing 787, right? I think I the ones think that so, yeah. created certain What, fires. the ones that heated up? Mm. Yeah, well, the original or the the early lithium batteries would actually just explode in your pocket, in your right. phones and in your laptops and things like that. Um, How comforting. <laughs> where the new aluminium battery does not. So right. why haven't we had aluminium batteries um, so far? We, so... This, uh, so, the technology with aluminium batteries has been around for quite some time. They've just been very useless. Um, <laughs> useless. <laughs> tra- traditionally, these um, so traditionally these batteries have only had about, not even, around about 100 recharge cycles, mm-hmm. which is a third yeah. of a year if you're talking yeah. about an iPhone phone, right? Or something like that. Um, or maybe two days. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, they don't have very high voltage output. Um, and um, they also, if they don't discharge, things go a bit crazy. Okay. And they've also had some disintegration of the cathode that they've been using. Um, but this new battery has solved pretty much all of those problems. So um, the recharge cycle is now 7,500 or above that, where a normal lithium battery is about 1,000. Oh, okay. That's pretty good um, then. Yeah. Uh, it can be made so that it's flexible. So, for those smartphones that are possibly just going to be screens that can bend and all that stuff, yeah. this is going to be fantastic. Mm. And I uh, and this is a reference to a story hopefully we'll cover it later on in the show, but uh, perhaps they'll be uh, able to be embedded in watch wristbands yes. in the future. Yeah. Mm. And uh, they're also able to be punctured and um, it it doesn't destroy the battery right away it also doesn't explode if you puncture okay, it that's really handy um yeah and they're using pretty uh n- relatively non-toxic um materials. materials like they've got aluminium graphite which you know they're in pencils and yeah. um they're using just an aluminium salt as the electrolyte and there's lots of aluminium around because it's not a, a precious metal as such but yeah. i would assume that lithium is reasonably precious uh yeah uh yeah i think so it's also um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's hard to, to get a hold of, I think. A little, okay. Well, more so than yeah. aluminium. Um, so the cost of battery should come down is, you know, yeah, hopefully. I'm, in, I'm impressed by this, this number, the 7,500 cycles, yeah. uh, 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 charging cycles. Like you get a, uh, an iPhone these days and suddenly, you know, maybe two years down the track, your battery is, is kind of gone to shot. It's, yeah. it's really, you know, not worth, char- like it only char- keeps it to charge for maybe two hours after that. And you're kind of thinking, well... This is a bit crap. You yeah. know, if if we get, you know, if we just increase that and on its own, suddenly the battery uh, cycle rate, you know, how long a battery lasts in our devices 
uh, it goes much higher. Can I be cynical and say other other manufacturers of such devices going to be really happy about that? Because at yeah. the moment it forces you to replace your device. Yeah. Yes. Well, the other thing is, is that it recharges insanely quickly. So a, a, a smartphone device would charge in about a minute with wow. an aluminium battery. Okay, I want one. The, <laughs> the downfall at the moment is that the best voltage they've been able to get out of it is about a triple A, double A battery kind of thing. Right. So, you know, it's still early days. They they mm. accidentally discovered this battery. Um, so they're definitely going to be working on this a, a lot yep. more and get it up. So, But it's looking really promising. That'd be so good to have rapid charging because the worst thing is you, you're somewhere... Oh yeah, I've got access to a PowerPoint. Plug it in, and it starts to trickle in. Yeah. And you're like, but I've got five minutes until I mm. need to head out again. Yeah. Well, the other th- big thing is really in electric cars because right now with your electric car, you plug it in, and I think the quickest you can charge um, a battery at eighty to eighty percent is something like thirty or forty minutes. Mm. If you can dump a whole lot of power in there really, really quickly, that's going to be really, really good. I mean, I've seen like particularly with the Tesla. Um, uh, trials that they're doing over in the US and the battery companies that, that set up little stations across you know uh, major routes across yep. the US, they actually have systems where you replace the entire battery pack with a pre-charged battery. Yeah, you roll, you pull one out and put the, another one in mm. to solve that 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 problem of, of time. Kind of like a gas bottle exchange system. Yeah, yeah, it's effectively that. I guess it's you know it's about how the the, the current is stored or how the energy is stored in the end. It's not so much about. Uh, you know whose it is yeah yeah well yeah yeah but one of the things that um i was just thinking about was also there's been a lot of work done using capacitors as storage mm. yeah because you can um store a capacitor with energy and, and very rapidly transfer it from one device one to another yes do you think that's way of the future or is it going to be in conjunction with things like aluminium batteries um I don't think so. I mean, capacitors have been around for a long time. I feel like mm. we possibly would have developed that by now as, mm. as something useful. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, it could be, um, especially if, you, if you're trying to charge in a minute, then, you know, having a capacitor there that will just give you that charge mm. mostly instantaneously yeah, would, would be a good would, thing. Yeah, would be great. So when can I get one? Are these Soon, batteries? probably... I would easily say within a decade. <laughs> You're talking to somebody who has no patience. <laughs> that's that's like scientists that. for soon. Yes, soon. yes, yeah. it is. Oh, soon, <laughs> I got excited. It's like oh, very okay. good. Well, yeah, I, I I do like the um, battery technology. I think it's it, it is kind of the way that uh, our future is headed because you know we really have this energy concern that needs to be solved. Yeah. Now, shall we move on to some privacy concerns? And what what are the Kiwis doing? Yeah, well, there's some subscribers over there of of uh, a New Zealand telco called Spark. Um, they're going to visit the Hawke's Bay region. I'm not actually sure where Hawke's Bay is in in New Zealand, um, but they'll have their location recorded to help measure real visitor numbers. Now, the telco will tell the this uh, market research company which suburb each phone user comes from and where they're headed afterwards as well, which sounds a little bit Big Brotherish, doesn't it? Yeah, so it's not even just, you know, you have numbers of this many people in a, a suburb, it's these exact people are in this suburb. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, mm, it doesn't talk about, you know, identifying them right down to the uh, the person's name perhaps, but there is at least demographic information that's going to be um, included in that from the suburbs um uh, to to make assumptions about the person, perhaps that uh, is is coming and and leaving the area. 
I've heard about opting into things, but this is being co-opted mm, because you have no choice and unless you're aware of the story, you don't know it's even going on. It's a funny privilege that the telcos have in this world now where they are essentially the the only way that we can get data to us, right? Uh, whether it be through our mobile phones or through um, fixed line services or mm. so forth. Um, when they start selling themselves out to marketing research companies, and really, is there enough money in that? Like, in comparison to the subscriber fees that they get, how is it that they could this could like be a viable business case? That's uh, what I want to know. Well, you, do you know what I think? Mm. I think they could offer to uh, give their service away for free mm. on the understanding that your data is going to be used by marketing companies and they would still be making money. Ah, yes, the, the Google uh, approach. Yes. Hmm. So yeah, a bit uh, a bit scary over that side of the uh, over that side of the ditch. Uh, speaking of which, I'd just like to say a very quick hello to Jesse, who messaged in just a few moments ago. Hello, Jesse. Uh, yes, he's from London. Actually, good to good to have Londoners, but New Zealand Londoners. Uh, I thought, see, I, th- I thought you were going to say hello to Rainer. Hi, Rainer. Oh yes, Rainer. Hello, Rainer. Why, how could we not say hello to Rainer? <laughs> Well, you said the ditch. Mm, indeed. Now, uh, speaking of privacy as well, uh, back on this side of, uh, of the um, Tasman, uh, Privacy Commissioner uh, of Australia has ruled that the uh, metadata is personal uh, and Telstra must now hand over personal data to the journalist Ben Grubb. Now, Ben Grubb is, uh, I guess, he's, he's quite a favourite journalist, tech journalist of ours on Technogaze. Uh, works for Fairfax. And last week, uh, I think you guys looked at Telstra allowing customers to gain access to their metadata in the same way that uh, law enforcement agencies too. Yes, and they, and that was done under the guise of their transparency efforts. And reading this article this week, I feel a little bit hoodwinked that mm, perhaps they were putting a little bit of a spin on uh, mm. something that they were kind of forced, forced to do. Forced to do, yeah. So now, so Ben Grubb has actually taken them to court over over these personal information. He's arguing that uh, you know all these uh, government agencies have access to this information. Therefore, why don't I, and as, a, yeah. as a person who this information is actually about? And he did ask Telstra um, six hundred and eighty-eight days ago for his metadata mm-hmm. on his mobile mm-hmm. usage, and um, it took that long for the private. Well, not privacy commission assault, but it took that long in terms of a process for the um, for him to get access to it. Mm. Which is crazy because it's his data. Why shouldn't he have access to it? Yeah, because even you know councils, um, uh, you know law enforcement agencies, even the RSPCA can get access to the, this information. Sure, it might not be in exactly the same form as what um, Ben uh, would be looking for it in. In you know, in fact, um, he would be looking for it as his own personal data, regardless of the location yep. or, or anything like. That. So there might be some munging that needs to happen at the uh, on the telco side to actually get it all to work. But, um, you know, it, it is still his information mm. or it's still my information, the, the, the stuff that they store about. One, one of the things that uh, Telstra raised in terms of their opposition to this was that if they showed the, um, the telephone logs of calls that he received, that uh, those logs would show uh, hidden numbers. So, you know, when you decide to not to broadcast your ID or, or silent numbers, and that way he'd get access to it. And, and Ben rightly said that, you know what, I don't want that. Yeah. Filter it out. You, you obviously know that it's hidden or it's been filtered, then leave it out. That's, it sounds like a very unintuitive thing for, for Telstra to say, in fact, because it's almost like they're trying to, you know, provide an argument against providing the data just 
like with well, a very you, simple response, which could be, hey, just filter it. You know, yep. you must know that that number is private somewhere. So just, you know, turn, you know, just blank it out. Like, mm. use the, what information is actually sent to the RSPCA then? Is that silent number actually sent on? I, I think, mean, I think it is. And I don't know under what auspices the RSPCA needs to get this information. I think it's for animal protection. So, ah, okay. Know, there, there are some legitimate reasons, but then, you know, who who might take advantage of those legitimate reasons? Who knows? Anyway, uh, it is time is getting away from us today, isn't it? So we should probably move on. You're listening to Techno Gaze here on Joy ninety four point nine. We'll be back soon. Techno Gaze. Techno Gaze here, Mark, Craig, and Michael in the studio. I thought I'd mix up the uh, <laughs> the order. Mark, Craig, and chopped liver. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great welcoming, uh, welcoming <laughs> back gift you have, you've given me there. Thank Although this time much. he hesitated on my name, so it's pretty even. <laughs> <laughs> okay, chop liver and chop liver. <laughs> and for vegetarians out there, I'm sorry. Oh bless. Um, <laughs> next up, my favourite part of the show. We're talking about Apple. <laughs> Apple. Oh yes. Um, so. Uh, Apple Watches. Uh, yes, that company has uh, just released one of the major product releases of the year, one could say, and that is a watch. Uh, and we, we hear a lot of um, and focus a lot on the negative aspects of, of Apple Watch, don't we? Well, oh, I like <laughs> don't, don't, don't look at me. It, it's a human nature thing. When something comes out, and especially Australians, you know, tall poppy syndrome, you, you say, oh, it's not really as good as they make out, and look and look at these problems. Yes, but there is one good news uh, story that came out about the Apple Watch just uh, just this week, and that is the story of Molly Watt, uh, who has a genetic disorder that has left her severely deaf, and uh, with the exception of a very small amount of tunnel vision in one eye, is uh, is also completely blind. Now she's uh, used; uh, she's actually quite used to using the iPhone. Uh, so crossing over to the watch wasn't too difficult when she um, she must have got her, her order quite early because with the watch there's a there's yeah. a big backlog of orders but anyway she she has already obtained a watch and uh, the watch uh, makes extensive use of the haptic feedback um, to dif- differentiate between uh, one alert versus another alert so for example a phone call might uh, have like um, taps. Uh, of a certain frequency and a certain mm. number, whereas a text message might have a, another sort of set of taps. And this that's what the haptic engine is all about. It's this, this vibrating engine that, it, that sits inside. And it's probably, like from what I've felt of it anyway, it's actually more um, precise in terms of a vibrate than what you feel um, on your what phone. What you feel from a, f- a typical okay. phone. So, And in fact, uh, micro, uh, Microsoft, Apple have got a term for the haptic feedback on the watch. Don't they call it taptic? Mm. Yes. Because it, it feels like it literally Tap. taps. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but it's not a new thing, though, is it? Because you can customize vibratones for your contacts on your iPhone now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Which I use extensively. Mm. Yeah. Actually, I, I, I managed to um, check out the, uh, the MacBook. Uh, the new MacBook, which is the solid state, everything, no fans. I saw that in the flesh a few weeks ago, and I fell in love with it. Mm. <laughs> oh, did, you the, did you try the? Did you try the the keyboard scratch pad? Oh, the, the scratch pad. The, no, the, the no, the pressure sensitive one. No. So that 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 also has a haptic uh, engine behind it as well, mm. and uh, they've removed the ability for the 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 trackpad to actually move up and down. So if you've got a, a Mac today, you would probably you know if you want to press the touchpad, you can actually press it down and it physically moves as if it's a button. 
Yeah. Um, they've removed that ability for the, the new version, but they've replaced it with the haptic engine. So when you actually press hard enough, it feels like you're still pressing it down. And it literally does because of the way that they've designed the, the vibrate, the, mm. the, the length of it and the sort of just the feel of it. It, it really does feel like you're, you're pressing down on a, on a button, which is just remarkable in, in my opinion. But anyway. Back to Molly. Molly, yes. Um, so this, uh, the, the discovery that the watch makes extensive use of this uh, haptic feedback uh, means that she's much more capable or much more able to use the uh, the functionality, the full functionality of the watch. And she uses it with maps, and the map actually tells her via the number of taps whether to turn left or right based on whatever destination she's put into her iPhone. Yeah, and this was a feature that was quite um, sold quite early on by, by Apple. So if you had a, a um, directions loaded into your, your watch, um, it you could just, you know, let it go and you could have your your arm sort of swaying by your side but it would actually just give you a, a little sort of feedback so you, you're not actually sitting there with a phone in your hand you know going is this the right direction is that the right direction yep. it's just literally telling you as you're walking i'd be curious to see how reliable that is like how good is it at gps locations particularly when your phone which is actually the thing that's driving gps is in your pocket so it may not have well, the full should be no worse right well yeah um but the problem it becomes that if you rely on it because your eyesight isn't there you can't necessarily yeah. tell you know is, is there a road to turn here when it says turn right that's the issue but she does use the watch with her guide dog yes. so the dog's obviously trained to avoid obstacles and um you know things like that but you know i read the article and it said that there was 12 taps to turn right and three pairs of two taps to turn left and my initial thought was gee that's a lot of taps to remember but then I realised that if you don't have your other senses going and you're used to taps and things like that, you become very naturally skilled mm. at adapting and understanding the well, output from that. Also, if you're relying on it, then you will have to differentiate that between all the other taps that mean something else on yeah. the phone, like messages True. and text mm. messages and phone calls and stuff like that. So Yeah, but it's a good use for the watch. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, it's it's uh, Apple have always traditionally helped out people that have the need for accessible devices. Um, you know, they've just put that little extra effort into their products that that perhaps other manufacturers don't. And you know, this is a sign that that's still occurring today, which which you know makes me happy. Mm. I'd have to say it's a functionality I would use. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's very handy. So you don't have to if you know that you know the tap means do something. You don't have to look up and actually check yeah. some device. You just do it. Mm. Uh, yeah, it also brings me back to the the battery issue, but how long the battery would last when you when it's guiding you through certain mm. areas. But hey, um, we won't know until we uh, get our hands on one. Perhaps. Yes, and then put an aluminium battery in the, in the strap. <laughs> in the strap, and, <laughs> and there is a possibility now that you mention that. There's uh, uh, there was news this week of uh, there perhaps being a, uh, a hidden port. Not perhaps there is a hidden. There port. is a hidden port, I should say. Um, and uh, the this is actually hidden in the battery. Uh, sorry, in the in the strap connector. So when you take the band off an Apple Watch, which is a thing that you can do quite readily, like it's a very easy thing to do. Um, there's actually a six-pin port that's underneath a sort of a shutter, which is um, sort of closed, but it's you can open it with a little tool. There's no tool that's provided in the packaging uh, today to allow you to open it. But there is talk that certain third-party um, manufacturers might be given the ability to, to interface with this port and one of the uses for this port is to be able to charge so potentially with the combination of our earlier story of an aluminium battery that is actually flexible, flexible. Mm. 
um, combined with a nicely designed uh, watch uh, wristband that uh, has this little port made uh, enabled. Suddenly, this port charges the um, watch more quickly than the yes. induction. Yes, it? yes, because that's the other thing. There's a bit of criticism around the, the time it takes for the induction charging to occur with the the the, the strap. Uh, sorry, the the um, the normal charger. The box. Um, so again, it's like a direct contact that you get with the with the watch. So, hey, it solves a lot I of I do problems. I do feel like that now that we've spoken about it, we have just given someone a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not. Hopefully that's uh, that's not what we're we're here to do. We're we're here to inform the consumer at home. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's um, interesting what uh, third party accessories might come out with the watch. Yeah, I can imagine the battery in your pocket with long leads sort of sneaking up your arm and then <laughs> plugging it into your watch <laughs> just some extra power yes indeed now uh shall we um i think it is getting to the end of the hour of course we've got news with byron Tompkins in uh the not too distant future uh but we do have to wrap up the show you're listening to techno gaze on joy 94.9 techno gaze Yes, you can check out the podcast on joy.org.au. It was very handy for me when I was overseas. That's the third time I dropped that into uh, into this show, isn't it? You're sounding like somebody else I know on air. What's his name? Um, <laughs> anyway, now um, just to finish up, uh, speaking of being overseas and uh, and flying, the Dreamliner, uh, Boeing's next generation uh, aeroplane. Uh, 787 Dreamliner. What, the halt and catch fire one? Yeah. The <laughs> We're one talking about was, batteries before. Yes, yes they, the lithium-ion batteries that uh, caused certain concerns earlier on in its um, debut. Anyway, um, just recently there's been a software bug that's appeared in the Boeing 787 Dreamliner. Oh, no. And it's forced... The ma- and, you know, it's more about the software these days with uh, these things. So they've, they've actually had to uh, send out an airworthiness directive to shut down the plane's electrical power periodically. Let me guess. They want to reboot it every now and then. <laughs> is this, is, have they built this, um, Thing this on plane windows? on windows? <laughs> like, <sighs> I said that to somebody and the retort was, well, but even Linux has, a, you know, has issued a bug about this. And I said, mm. yeah, the only difference is with Microsoft, it's a feature, not a bug. <laughs> yeah. uh, so if it's been running for 248 days nonstop, then you need to shut it down and turn it back on. So keep that in mind if you own a 787. Now, that's all we have time for today. If you missed any part of the show or perhaps you're looking to listen to previous episodes, you can do so by going to joy.org.au slash technogaze. Those words have changed just recently. Well, that's what happens when you go away, Mark. Indeed. (laughs) Now, the news is next uh, with Byron Tompkins, and for that is uh, Dick with a touch of pink. I've always wanted to say that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Whose single of the week is Ego. Now, have a great weekend, everyone. Thank you very much, Craig, for coming in. Thank you for having me. And thank you, Michael, for pushing buttons and being uh, and for f- doing a stellar job while I've been away. <laughs> That's not what you said to me before. <laughs> <laughs> Pulled out the long list. Ah, <laughs> thank you, Mark. It's been wonderful. Catch you next week. Techno Gaze on Joy 94.9. This podcast was produced by Joy Media. You can support Joy's diverse sound and diverse community this June by donating to Joy Radiothon 2024. 
go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. And remember, we all flourish with joy. 